Well, uh, it's wonderful to be with you here this morning, and we are continuing in the book of John, and we've reached the end of our seven signs. You can see the little uh, diagrams there. The final one is the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, Uh, and this event is still fresh in the air, and today's passage follows on from it. Today we have uh, Mary, Lazarus's sister, and we, we see her response to Jesus in this final sign. But uh, why don't I pray again as we uh, turn to this passage. Heavenly Father, please be with us now working through your spirit to show us the significance of your word. And may we be moved by Mary's act of service. May you change our hearts and minds through it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, it's the beginning of the year. Do you have your Kiki K year planners out or, uh, you know... Whatever it is you, you do your planning on, if you've been looking ahead, uh, maybe your coloured pens and texters, or do you just kind of wing it through the year? Uh, whatever you do, as you're thinking ahead, uh, it's good to think of opportunities and threats. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess it's not always easy to work out what the threats might be. Uh, comedian John Mulhaney has uh, spoken about how growing up watching uh, cartoons on TV as a kid, you kind of end up with this distorted view about what the big threats you'll face in life as an adult are. Uh, he says, if you watch cartoons, quicksand is the third biggest thing you think you have to worry about in adult life. <laughs> right behind, real sticks of dynamite and giant anvils falling from the sky. He says, uh, now I've gotten older, not only have I never stepped in quicksand, I've never even heard about it. I think he has a a point, you know, falling pianos are occurring less frequently than I thought they would, Uh, and I don't even own a stick of dynamite should the need to use one arise. Well, as we turn to our passage, uh, I think it presents a clear opportunity for your year ahead, and perhaps, uh, perhaps the greatest threat, a great danger and that is that we fail to see the value of Jesus and pour out our best for him. Uh, We're reminded of this by the the show-stopping act of Mary, his follower, in a tender moment recorded for us uh, in today's passage. So why don't we look at it together? Uh, I've got a few points in the outline. You can follow along on screen. Firstly, uh, let's set the scene by looking at the, the room and its mood. We begin, uh, and Jesus, Jesus is a star. See here, he's returned to Bethany, which is where he healed Lazarus. And, and, and it was surely still a buzz. Uh, verses uh, 2 and 3 say, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one uh, Jesus had raised from the dead. So he's back there again, back in that spot. And Jesus must have been the talk of the town. He's raised Lazarus. There would have been this mood of amazement, of victory. Uh, And yet, there is still death, surely, in the air. Because um, one uh, of the reactions to raising Lazarus to the dead, uh, from the dead, we're told, is that the the religious establishment, the the, the Jewish leaders, now decide that they have no choice but to kill Jesus. Uh, And so as we reach the end of chapter 11, we learn that uh, life for Lazarus will mean death for Jesus. And death is in the air, for it is the Passover festival. Jesus is taking up his mantle as the sacrificial lamb, the lamb preparing himself. Uh, His time has not come, he has said a number of times. And yet at the end of these events, in 12 verse 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
And so Jesus' own death and resurrection to king will soon be upon them. So one commentator aptly describes this chapter as bittersweet, bittersweet. Uh, the wonder and hope of Lazarus' return to life and yet the air of sacrificial death. But I think few in the room would have uh, anticipated or appreciated all of this. As the friends gather for dinner in Jesus' honour, in verse 2, it says, So they gave a dinner for him there, Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Secondly then, let's turn to the act and its meaning. Uh, Mary's incredible act is described in just one verse. Uh, Let's read it, verse 3. Then Mary took a pound, that's about half a litre, of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So Mary pours about half a litre of perfume uh, over Jesus. Uh, This would have cost around about $80,000 and we'll come to the economic cost uh, in a moment. But the social cost uh, was enormous too. For for a woman in public in that culture to let down her hair was very shameful. And then to to wipe someone's feet with her hair, it it would have been uh, so shocking. People would have felt really uncomfortable in the room. You can just imagine uh, just how over the top this was. Uh, It seems to come out of nowhere until, until you realise that we've actually been told quite a lot about Mary leading up to this moment. Uh, this is a painting of Vermeer of uh, Martha and Mary with Jesus. If you remember uh, the, the, the story from Luke 10 where um, Martha is frantically running around, Jesus has come for dinner and she's frantically serving them food and doing the dishes and Mary is sitting at his feet listening, learning uh, and Jesus says, Martha, come, rest. It's, it's a wonderful moment. Um, and then here again, you know, in John uh, chapter 11, uh, we've learned a lot about uh, Mary and Jesus. You know, her brother was sick, and we were told a lot in, in last week's passage, but we didn't really have time to kind of look at her uh, and her reactions. Uh, but uh, in chapter 11 of John, Mary, she sees her, her brother uh, dead. It would have been um, so confronting. And, and they had called for Jesus to come, and yet there her brother had died. And it seems to crush her a little. Uh, Mary, uh, when Jesus comes, she doesn't go out to meet him, and uh, Jesus has to call for her to come. Uh, and so she does, she comes. And when Jesus calls her, she seems to be saying, uh, Jesus, you've let the team down. Uh, in, in, in John eleven thirty two. she says, If you had been here... My brother would not have died. And yet now in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, there is her brother Lazarus again, alive and well, sitting with them. In some measure, her act with the perfume uh, reflects the journey that she has gone on in her understanding of who uh, Jesus is and what his love and mission are. We're not told much about the fragrance itself. Uh, It was obviously better than like the, the... $5 $5 corner store bottle of perfume, uh, even better than Chanel number no. 5. But we are told about the fragrance uh, filling the room. Uh, and I'd say it's tempting to get Marcus to kind of run down the aisle here, puffing perfume to give you a, an immersive experience. But it would have been a bit dramatic. Uh, <laughs> it should be said that a, a gift of perfume, you know, it can sometimes be taken the wrong way. 
And you might think that Mary did this because she thought Jesus smelled. You know, he was born in a stable and he was a carpenter. It might not have been a good smell. Uh, But of course, Mary is doing something much deeper. Uh, And to set us on the right course, notice Jesus' words in verse 7. They're key. He says, She has kept it, that is the perfume, for the day of my burial. That's what this is about. This bottle we use to prepare Jesus for his burial. That's what's happening. It's often called the anointing of Jesus, but it's, I think it's actually like technically incorrect. An, an anointing is what you do to the king uh, to prepare them for a kingship. Uh, and Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, uh, said explicitly in Luke 4.18. So th- this was an anointing. It was a preparing for burial. Uh, as, uh, as we today do the same thing. We prepare people's uh, bodies for burial. The, the, the body is cleaned. Uh, the person is, is made up and, and dressed. And all uh, it's something that all funeral directors uh, do as part of the burial. And this is what happens to Jesus' body after he dies. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they pay for and arrange for this to be done for his body. He's wrapped in linen and again oil and perfume is poured over his body. But that happens later after he's died. Here, Mary is foreshadowing that. The other theme that shines through, though, is uh, that of the sacrificial death of Jesus, being the the sacrificial Passover lamb, that which had to die for the forgiveness, the the passing over of the people's sins. Uh, As the Old Testament set out, every sacrifice had to be prepared in a particular way. And Jesus here is uh, being prepared for his sacrificial death by oil and fragrances. And this, uh, this wildly, wildly expensive perfume, it pointed to something much bigger than, than that event in the room uh, could, have, could have meant to the people there. It pointed to a spiritual reality. So uh, 1 Peter 3.18 uh, says, For Christ also suffered for the sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm but made alive in the spiritual realm. And so there's something um, spiritual happening here in all of these events, isn't there? The, the sacrificial death of Jesus, it was to make right sinners with God. And, and you wonder if Mary, uh, you wonder what she understood if she didn't understand something from all of her listening at Jesus' feet, uh, that, he, that he must die. Uh, that her heart wasn't overwhelmed with his, his righteousness, his innocence, and yet he would suffer death to bring the unrighteous to God, to bring all of us who look to him to God. And so this act of Mary's, her anointing of the flesh, pointed to a spiritual reality, that in dying, Jesus would bring life, just as he had done to Lazarus, he would bring life, but even better, it would be uh, sinners. Sinners would be brought to eternal life with God. But as we've seen, people in the room didn't get it, did they? They didn't understand it. Most of them, they missed the signs, each of the signs as we've gone through. People didn't understand what was happening. Uh, and in fact, the thing that occupied the people in the room was really just how much this would have cost. And so thirdly, uh, let's consider the reactions and their motives. The, uh, the other gospel accounts of this moment tell us that the mood in the room was shock and disapproval, um, as seen in Judas's words in verse 4. Verse 4 says, 
Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And his reaction is uh, understandable. 300 denarii is a year's wages. As I said, equivalent to Sydney 2024 would be around about $80,000. 80,000, just, just gone like that, poured, poured out to soak into the floor. Wasn't that a bit of a waste? Wasn't that a bit over the top? Uh, you know, think of the, the, the rice that you could give to the poor for that. You know, I, I did some maths. Uh, you know, you could feed about 500 people for a year with, with that much uh, money, that perfume. Judas, Judas surely has something of a point here. It was a lot to spend on a gesture. I mean, how much is too much? You hear of people spending uh, $200,000 on a wedding. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to celebrate. It's good to do something, uh, but 200000 for a wedding, surely that's a little over the top. I hope... <laughs> I put that figure at something I think beyond any of us would have done. But <laughs> uh, you know, or say Prime Minister uh, Albo is coming over for dinner. Do you know? You, do you crack open your fancy bottle of wine, the one you've been saving? What if it was a what if it was an eighty uh, eighty thousand dollar bottle of wine? You know, do you do you open it for Albo, or do you put it on eBay and get the money? I'm sorry, I'm cashing that one in. It's. Uh... <laughs> So it all raises the question of value. How much is too much? How much is something worth? And our passage raises the question, how much should be spent on honouring Jesus? What amount would be considered wasteful when it comes to giving Jesus our time, our money, our energy? And the motivations in the passage are revealing because Judas's concern for the poor is actually a, a pretense, isn't it? We're told, verse 6 says... Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. And so the issue is greed and materialism. Judas is he's obviously a very blatant kind of corrupt, uh, and yet we are all susceptible uh, to, to the power of, uh, of greed, aren't we? Uh, as a slide aside, when Jesus says in verse 8, uh, notice that comment in verse 8, you'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. He's not saying who cares about the poor, I'm more important. Uh, no, because one of the ways that, is that we serve Jesus is by caring for the poor in his name. Rather, he's saying, uh, you know, most immediately that he's literally about to die. And so, uh, you know, this is one of the last chances people had to serve him while he was physically in front of them like that. But returning to the point, Judas, Judas would rather not spend the money on Jesus. He'd rather spend it on himself. And it's a, it's a crude, self-serving motivation. And it's, a, it's kind of a blunt force reminder to us all of the danger of being selfish uh, with our time and money. It's so easy to keep it for ourselves. It's so easy to make arguments and give excuses. What about this or that, as Judas did? And in a way, we are in control of the money bag. We, we can just kind of help ourselves, can't we? Nobody really comes and checks on our spending. And yet the reality of our time and money is that if we aren't using it for Jesus and his kingdom, for loving and serving him, then uh, all too often we're, we're just spending it on ourselves. Not to make you uh, feel guilty for enjoying nice things, but the passage, it does, it makes us ask these 
questions of, and search our hearts. We all hate uh, wastefulness when you go to, you know, it's like when you go to a restaurant and you see a beautiful meal there and someone's like hardly touched at the side of it. Uh, we hate wastefulness and Judas cautions against it, but the great irony of Judas's words is that his was the great waste of money. He was hoarding it for himself, corrupting himself to his ultimate demise, buying for himself things that he actually would never get the opportunity to spend, would he? It was Mary that had used her precious resource wisely. Isn't that the great irony of our passage? He who cried waste was in fact the wasteful one. He who looked to be well-measured, it seemed to be a well-measured comment, and yet he was in fact wildly out of place when it came to putting a value on serving Jesus. Well, we began by uh, talking about threats to the year of 2024, and I was reminded of another threat this week. I thought I could add it to your list, uh, snakes. And, I, you know, I bring up snakes because I'm a surfer, and people, when they find out you're a surfer, they always like talking about sharks, and I don't appreciate it. So this is one for the hikers out in the room, uh, snakes. The snakes have been doing very well this year. I, I read an interview this week with a snake catcher, and apparently they're doing well in Brisbane. There's been four people who have gone to hospital uh, during various incidents. Don't worry, they're all okay. Um, and I, I won't make your skin crawl with photos or details, but the interview with this snake catcher really was gold. His, um, his name was Sean Cade, uh, and he said this. He said, 95% of people are bitten either trying to catch or kill snakes. People grab a stick or a shovel and might miss, but the snake does not miss in response. <laughs> The snake does not miss. And you could say that snakes, uh, in this way, are a little bit like life. You know, uh, you get one crack at it, and it's all over. And Mary, you know, Mary had one go. She had this one bottle, and she, and she, she used it. And, uh, and, and our life is a bit like that. You know, we dither about, but we only get one shot at life. And Mary, that one priceless bottle, surely her most valuable possession, but she didn't mess about she poured it all out to honour Jesus. She reads the mood, she reads the times, and she sees that Jesus will soon be gone, and so she seizes on the opportunity for abundant service. The Apostle Paul, uh, Jesus' servant, uses similar language to describe himself uh, like a, a bit like a jar of oil being poured out as a sacrifice in service of his king. Uh, in Philippians 2, verse 17, very famously he says, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering in the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so Paul's life, he sees, was a bit like a jar of valuable perfume, broken and poured out to serve the king and his church, that he might be glad and rejoice with those in heaven. And so we are all in the same position. We all only have one life with which to serve our king we, are, we have one chance to pour out our lives. We have one chance to give what we have for the kingdom. And so as we begin, uh, perhaps uh, looking ahead for this year, perhaps the greatest threat is that we don't pour ourselves out for the king and that we keep what we have for ourselves. It will look so reasonable. Uh, it's so easy uh, to, to hold back, isn't it? And yet it would be such a waste. Our passage shows us in Judas and Mary, these two characters, uh, that our lives are an opportunity for great waste or for great love and service. Judas wasted his money and his life and all was soon lost. 
whereas Mary showed us uh, that we have a great chance to pour out our lives in beautiful service for our King. Let me pray that God will help us to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus who died as a sacrifice that we might have an eternal life of peace with you. And help us to live this new life now, pouring out what we have in service of your kingdom in the name of our great King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.